HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. Hi, this is HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. And before we get back to the show, I need to talk to you about something really amazing. This year, Heritage Radio Network is celebrating our 10th anniversary, and 2019 has been a big year already. We've brought on lots of new shows and kept you in the know about the most important food stories of our time. This year on HRN, we launched Queer the Table, a show that tells stories about food and the LGBTQ community. On Meet and 3, we scaled up our food news coverage and reported to you the effects of the Trump administration's policies on global food systems. We explored sustainable seafood, the impact of climate change on American farmers, and brought you stories of transformation and discovery from the world's leading chefs and food writers. You won't hear this depth of food coverage anywhere else. I'm on the mic today to remind you that our work is only possible thanks to your generous support. You listen to HRN because you care about not only what's on your plate and in your glass, but how it got there and the story behind it. So please, this week, Take a moment to show us what independent food radio means to you and become a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and set up a monthly donation of 5 or $10. Your support will go directly towards making your favorite shows, plus you can pick out a sweet member gift, which might just end up being your favorite new t-shirt or a set of potent single-origin spices. There's no HRN without you. Join our community at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and thank you. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview an extraordinary woman who's inspired me with their strength, their courage, and their ability to overcome challenges. Today, like all other weeks, I have an extraordinary woman sitting right here in front of me. We're going to delve into uh, some important topics, topics that are of the moment and also timeless. My guest is Melissa Rodriguez, who is a chef and partner at Del Posto Restaurant in New York City. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am so happy to have you here for many reasons. First of all, I got to eat at your restaurant recently, and it was so delicious. Um, the fazoletto, which is a flat 
pasta with herbs and mussels uh, with saffron cream is emblazoned in my memory for the color of the fazoletto, the pasta, and the beautiful greens and those plump muscles on top. So I love talking to the creators of beautiful things. <laughs> and, um, and I'm also excited to talk to you about um, your, your path in fine dining, which is not the path everybody's taking today. I mean, you, really, you, you have an extraordinary restaurant with 220 in staff, 56 chefs in the kitchen. That's just a big big machine what first got you thinking that fine dining not just cooking was going to be the thing that you wanted to do um I you know I started cooking kind of on accident and I had never even considered doing fine dining it was too intimidating to me I kind of like really enjoyed like a small restaurant and a mom and pop situation and then I really enjoyed doing catering because it was like building a kitchen in a new base every day so every day was different and exciting so those were your first two jobs actually yeah. right your first job was at a small restaurant and then you moved on to catering yeah um and how but how did you even think like food is great like did you have a mom who cooked a mom who didn't cook I often feel it's something like that or you know so um I had a mom who cooked but my mom and I love her dearly but she really like believes that salt and pepper are exotic spices um so I was a very picky eater as a child, and her cooking, um, although there are many things that she does that I feel, like, very nostalgic for, um, you know, it was always something I kind of opposed. I, I was the kid who sat at the table until, like, it was time to go to bed. I'm sorry, what was that? I was the kid who sat at the table who wouldn't eat whatever was in front of me and, you know, ended up going to bed because you could only sit at the table so long. Because your mom's like, if you don't finish your food, you yeah. can't leave. Yeah, no homework, much. no TV, no playing in the yard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I, I kind of, you know, I found myself having done all these things, and and I realized that I understood that I really liked the energy of a restaurant. Um, so I left doing catering. So I was like, I don't really want to cook like this anymore. It's fun, but it's just not what I want to do every day. And I decided that I should do something that would be challenging and that um, I didn't think I could do. Um, so why did you want to do something you didn't think you could do? I guess because I like to, you know, outdo myself. Um, I'm kind of, I, I feel like every time I get to some place, I'm always looking forward to, like, what's, what's the next space? What's the next, like, uh, goal? Um, I've always like looked at my career as making really small like goals. So at some point they add up and they feel like a much bigger achievement. I've always felt that like that's a really easy way for me to stay focused. Huh. So what's your small goal now? Um, my small goal now, man, I have to think about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't have an intention I, set right now. I, I mean, I do. I mean, my, my intention right now is, um, well, my intention right now is to uh, change into my summer menu and and keep my uh, my cooks motivated while we're in the kind of slower season of the restaurant world in New York, um, you know, and to uh, do as much as I as I can to elevate the restaurant and and also you know 
changed the affiliation of the restaurant. It's been, uh, you know, funny few years of uh, at Del Posto. So, I, you know, kind of really instating who I am and what I do in the kitchen and at Del Posto is really important to me. So um, what you're bringing up sort of obliquely, but we'll uh, sort of attack it directly or gently, but, but directly, <laughs> is... The fact that Del Posto, the, the restaurant where you are a partner and chef and create this incredible food, um, is under a cloud of some kind with some people, not all people. Yeah. Right? Clouds are, <laughs> clouds can be just over one place in time uh, because the restaurant is owned by, has been owned by Batali and Bastianich, Mario and Joe. And... Mario was accused of sexual harassment, and you were working under that group since you got there, which is 2011. Yes, right. And so that's eight years, and um, and Mario finally is out of the business. Yes, but Joe is still there, and the stigma remains that you have been working. You worked for these two seemingly really difficult men, one who is um, a, an accused uh, abuser, and that leaves you in a very particular place. Yes. And, and you're still there. Yes. And there's the question for some, like, why stay? Um, and, and so let's answer that question first, because it seems maybe the simplest. Um. It, the reason I, I stay, well, A, the daily operations were never, never included um, any of the owners. The daily operations before were, was Mark Ladner, and, and now it's me, and I worked with Mark for a very long time, and I had great Mark Ladner years, and he's a, an incredibly inspiring and um, eclectic and gentle giant um, who I love dearly. Um, you know, and, and just for those who aren't listening, like Mark is known to be an absolute genius. Yeah. And um, and he left Del Posto before the revelations to uh, create a fast, casual um, pasta restaurant. Uh, but I can imagine him as a boss would be incredibly inspiring. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I'd never worked for a chef like him and it was very challenging for me and I really enjoyed my time with him because it really opened my eyes and perspective to food and cooking in a way that I didn't expect. I'm curious with him as the direct boss, like what did you take away from the way he ran the kitchen or like what inspired you about working with him in particular? And maybe it was just the way he, you know, rolled pasta um, or made a hundred layer lasagna. <laughs> I mean, I definitely learned how to make a few hundred layer lasagnas. Um, I took away from him, um, you know, looking outside of the box it came from a very regimented French background and um, he, you know, really made me look away from that and um, grow beyond that. He really challenged me. You know, he was not always the chef that was like, this is exactly what I want and this is how I want it and that's where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. He was kind of like, you know, this is kind of what I want, but I'm not really sure. So, like, it was my job to figure it out and... I took away, you know, gaining so much perspective and independence and creativity 
um, which are all like really strong attributes to gain from an individual who runs such a big restaurant. <laughs> that is interesting because because restaurants are so big, it seems like regimentation might actually be necessary. Do you follow that path as a chef now running it, giving d- people that kind of latitude? Or I do. I, I really run my kitchen as a collaboration. Um, I think it's really important to keep everyone included and excited. Um, I have a large sous chef team. Um, we do menu development together. It's not a dictatorship. I just don't feel comfortable with that. Um, you know, not everyone is creative and I understand that. And I am, and I have some sous chefs who are hyper creative and I have some that are very shy to be creative. So we try and coach it and we try and put everyone in a place where they're comfortable to at least try. Um, you know, we, we taste together and we talk about it and we have meetings. Um, you know, I try to have one every week with just the sous chefs just to talk about menu development. Um, you know, so that we're all um, active. It's it's easy to get kind of caught up in doing the same thing over and over again, especially as like a line cook. So let's just go back to the time when, which I'm sorry, because I imagine it's not the happiest time, but um, when the revelations were coming out about Mario, because there's a big piece, I mean, there was a, we knew in the food world that the piece was coming. Yeah. And I'm sure you knew at the restaurant that it was coming. And so you were prepared, I imagine, in some way. But like, what are the emotions that, that you went through during that time? Like, I'm just trying to understand how you felt being inside of that and knowing that, you know, much as they were the owners, you actually were reporting to someone who was not them, but you would be very deeply affected by these. I mean, it was incredibly frustrating and you felt, you know, I felt incredibly ashamed and, and disgusted and annoyed. Um, you know, I have always loved walking in the doors at Del Posto and I love all the people there. They're like, you know, at some point you realize that you spend more time with the people that you work with than your own family, than my husband, than anyone. Um, so those relationships are really important to me, um, and I take them seriously, and I and I think of them as like my second family. So, you know, I felt really, uh, you know, that I needed to be kind of protective of them because that was not the way we behave, and that was not the culture in our kitchen, and it was unfortunate that we all had to kind of, you know, it's like taking a blunt hit and being responsible for something that has nothing to do with you or the people in your building. Um, but they must have had something to do with it, no? No. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, when I, when Mark, when I first arrived at Del Posto, like, there's it was a very energetic kitchen. There was no, you know, Mark was not the host of a boys club. It, that was not how it went. And and I'm certainly not the host of a voice club either. Um, you know, I have always taken mentoring very seriously. I feel like that's probably like 95% of my job. It's almost more important than cooking. Um, you know, and creating a kitchen culture where people participate and are active and that they're safe and comfortable has always been very important to me. So. You know, being under the umbrella of that type of bad behavior is really kind of daunting. And did you feel like 
you know, your the restaurant, as you said yourself, the restaurant is stained in some way by that relationship. Um, you know, do you feel like it doesn't actually sound like you feel like there's anything that you could have done or done differently, really, or recognition that you're part of something that in the larger, like your part of it might not have been diseased, but you didn't even have a sense of the corpus being. No, because it was so separate. I mean, you know, the only interaction with, you know, that level of ownership was, uh, you know, the yearly charity dinner or, you know, the company was so big and, you know, their celebrity status was so big that daily, uh, you know, operations weren't part of their beings. Um, And what about your team, right? They read every day. I mean, oh my God. I mean, so I have a daily meeting, kitchen meeting. Um, We talk about what's happening in the restaurant. We talk about the, uh, um, the banquets in the restaurant. We talk about who's coming in for dinner. We talk about who got reviewed, what's going on in the news. We talk about mental health care. We talk about personal hygiene. We talk about, you know, I don't know how to save money. We talk about everything. It's kind of like a, I like to think of it as a platform for everyone to have a voice. How many people are in that meeting? Um, anywhere between like 20 and 35 usually. Um, you know, like my bread bakers leave early. They're not usually there. Um, sometimes my AM staff is not there. Um, you know, but I like to think of it as like a platform for anyone to be able to bring anything up. And oftentimes they do. I'm not going to lie. Most of my cooks are pretty, they're relatively shy and they don't want to speak in front of a large group of people, but I encourage them to do so. I'm also incredibly shy and it took me a long time to get comfortable with that. But these articles would come out. And so at the meeting, we would talk about them. Um, you know, making sure that everyone knew that they have a place to go to if they have a problem, that they have an anonymous place to go to if they, if something is happening that I'm not seeing or that anyone else in the restaurant isn't seeing. Um, and, you know, we talk about the way we treat each other and the importance of that and the importance of having a professional working relationship with a professional working environment. And did you lose a lot of staff over it? No. No, I didn't. I definitely, we definitely got a lot more like, you know, everyone got really sensitive. I mean, I got really sensitive. All of a sudden, you know, the young man who has been working as a line cook for two years with you is like, I really don't like the way this person says hello to me. Or, you know, little tiny things here and there. And it, it was a lot because it's a lot to, you know, absorb almost. You have to walk through these conversations and and make sure that they're in a place that they're comfortable and that you can that they feel comfortable talking to you or someone else um, and adjust the situation or do whatever it is that need to be done it's such a tribute to you that you didn't have the you know staff exodus because certainly it's happened at other restaurants I mean there's the flip side right they have a, a great job great boss great pay and I think this is the conundrum some people feel. And others, you know, um, like I was going to have lunch. I invited someone to lunch at your restaurant. And she said, like, I will not go there because I'm putting money in the pocket of Joe Bastianich. And I won't do that. Um, I wonder how you feel about that attitude and like how that makes you 
feel like? What do you do about that? Um, I mean, there's not really much I can do about that. Um, I, you know, I, it's just like anything else in life. There's going to be people who have opinions that will never coincide with yours, and that's okay. They're entitled to that, you know, as 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 anyone else is. And, um, you know, I, of course, hope that that's not the the stigma, but I know that that's not the case. Um, but I mean, I think that that's one reason why it's it's hard when you're shy to, you know, to combat something like that because the you want that voice to be heard. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, I've, I've been very quiet about all of this over the past year and a half, mainly because for the first few months, it's just, you know, you just I just wanted to be like protective of my staff. You know, it's like, what, what happens? You, you get promoted into this major position and you're at this point in your career where you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm making really positive forward moving steps. I'm in a place that I never ever considered I would be, you know, things are going really well. I have a great staff. Um, they've been working with me for a long time. Um, we have a great team. We're really working on like pushing the menu forward and development and all these all these things and then you just kind of get like squashed and you're like wow and this isn't because of me personally so like when you you know you look at your career and you're like oh man I've spent the past like 20 years of my life working towards this space that I never even thought was possible and here I am and this is what happens it's it's pretty intimidating you know and and as someone who's kind of introverted and, and a little shy and quiet, you know, my reaction, my natural reaction is to be guarded and be protective and kind of take those close to me and give them like a big hug and keep them, you know, close to me. Um, and that's kind of how I behave. But now that, you know, now that we're through the divestment and all those things, and now I'm a partner, you know, I want to make sure that you know, the, the past year and a half that we've kind of spent keeping our heads down and our hands busy, you know, doesn't go unnoticed. We've been working really hard at, at making our food amazing and delicious and, you know, regardless of the things that we can't control around us. Um, so, you know, that's been kind of important to me lately. Um, that sounds like a really, and that's where we started actually, because that's the micro goal, yeah. right? I mean, you, that you set for yourself, which is to, um, you, you know, to work to have the culture that you've created known better. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine, uh, you know, in some restaurants in that B and B hospitality empire, the restaurants have closed. Many of them have closed. Many of them have taken substantial financial hits because of the ownership and the bad press. Um, has that also been your experience at um, Del Posto? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, particularly like with our our corporate clientele, we definitely had uh, some people that just said they were unable to bring clients in and, until the restaurant was no longer associated. Um, and, now they're, and now they're coming back, which is great. <laughs> um, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, was kind of a little bit of a downtime. Like, I can't say that, like, business stayed the same because it, it didn't. It was definitely a little lessened because we had a group of people that would not come in, which I totally understand. 
it just you say that so factually I don't know like my heart sinks hearing it you know I mean for you like it just you know must be hard every day to to be working against the the darkness that is the feeling and I'm not excusing Joe let's or Mario or any of that but for you to feel like I've run this restaurant and I've run it independently and I you know, it's just, it's very complicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I kind of just look at it as, as a, a challenge. Um, you know, Jeff Katz and I, my, Jeff is my partner. Um, he, we've worked, you know, really hard at making sure that the culture in the restaurant is somewhere that we want to be. And that didn't start yesterday. That started eight, seven years ago. Like even as a sous chef, you know, I started as a sous chef and, I was kind of the the outcast sous chef because I was the one who came from a French kitchen. I had never <laughs> I had never worked in an Italian kitchen before. I didn't know anything about Italian food, to be very honest. I know I, I like to eat it. <laughs> I kind of love that idea. So, what did you take from the French kitchen to the um, to the Italian? Because actually, I think it shows in your food. Um, a lot of technique, I guess. I think I like like structure and technique where. Maybe in an Italian kitchen, it's a little more relaxed. Um, but it's also being in an Italian kitchen has kind of taught me to relax a little bit, too. Is that probably good for your life overall? <laughs> yeah, Are you taking so. that as a life lesson? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I made a lot of changes when I, with my, my personal behavior and self when I went to Del Posto. You Tell know, me about that. I'm fascinated. I, you know, I, I, um, I've always been very active, which is very lucky. Um, because I make that a priority in my life, but like I started going to therapy once a week. I was in like a weird place, and I didn't really know if I was going up or down, and I didn't know if it was the right place for me to be, and it made me feel uneasy. So, in which place? In, in French kitchen. When I first started at, at Del, Del Posto. Oh, Del Posto. So I was very comfortable with being like in the yes chef regimen. Um, you know, ex- being told exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Like I was, I was good at that. And then having to kind of change your brain into a di- totally different direction was like a little intimidating to me. And so I, you know, I started going to therapy um, because I kind of figured having a conversation with someone who doesn't have an agenda with you once a week is actually a really nice thing to do. And to be quite honest, it's helped me so much with how I manage myself. Um, how I manage my staff. It's in, also in what way, like the the conversation, or like what what you learn from it. What I learn from it, how I approach conversations. Like in what way? Um, it's really helped me to um, keep an open mind with having difficult conversations. You know, instead of being intimidated by having a difficult conversation, it's just keeping your eyes open on how you're going to navigate and how it unfolds, and getting more comfortable with that instead of avoiding. I feel like when I was younger, it was easier to avoid those types of things. And, and that's not how we function at El Posto. You know, if you're having a bad day, like I'm not just going to let you sit there and have a bad day. Like we're going to go have a quick conversation, work things out, figure it out and then move forward because, you know, why let, you know, something get the best of you and ruin something that has nothing to do with it. You know, I, I love restaurants because I always look at them as you can make a mistake on Tuesday and you can totally start clean on Wednesday. So like whatever you learned from your mistakes on Tuesday, say you overcooked something or you made a puree that wasn't great, whatever, it could be anything. 
you have that now, and now the next day you get to start over. Because nine times out of ten, the person who was in the restaurant yesterday was not in the restaurant the next day. So I, I, I've always loved that, and that's always been, like, very helpful. Um, but, like, recognizing that and, and understanding that has definitely been helpful with talking to someone. Right, that it's not, it, it's not permanent. Whatever, that, whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah. They can, they can redeem themselves, actually, and you're not judging them. You're like, you made a mistake. Let's keep going. Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there's, um, there's more pasta to cook. Yeah, you know, I definitely learned how to look at things differently. You know, instead of, instead of saying, you know, yes, no, like, this is why, and this is how to change and, and move forward. Um, you know, just like my outlook on how I manage people and how I manage myself. Um, you know, prioritizing myself and my cook's well-being has been something that I didn't really have, I didn't do before. How do you prioritize your own well-being? Um, I make sure, <laughs> I mean, I try. Um, I mean, that's 90% of everything for me is I just try. Um, you know, I try to take the same days off every week. I try to make sure I take two days off and I do the same for my cooks. They all have pretty really regular schedules and to be quite honest I feel like they hold me accountable to my schedule as well like if I'm in the restaurant and and it's my day off you know I have cooks that will come up to me and be like why are you here (laughs) (laughs) which is which is funny but like it's also kind of nice because it's a little reminder that like I have to take care of me too. And if I don't have downtime, how can I give you so much energy when I'm here and be productive? And it's the same thing for them, you know, and, and I want to have, you know, a life outside of the restaurant and I want them to have a life outside of the restaurant. It's incredibly important. So what is the most fun thing that you do outside the restaurant? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so not fun. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you're fun. There's music, there's sports. I mean, I love music. I try to go see any kind of live music that I can. Um, I work out a lot. I really enjoy, like, uh, weightlifting. <laughs> um, I Weightlifting? Yeah. That's an awesome thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I, I train with a trainer once a week, and then I usually do training by myself three or four other days. Um, I've in the past had, like, a pretty serious yoga uh, uh, practice, which I, I go back to a lot. Um, I read a lot. Um, I play the piano, <laughs> which isn't maybe fun for many people. But I think that sounds like fun. I, I haven't played regularly in like 20 years because I've never, I, I played as a kid. I played classical piano for about like eight or nine years, but I've never been in a space where I can have a piano. So Actually, my husband just had my childhood piano moved from my mom's house to my house last week. So I'm really excited to start doing that again because it's really like, it's a nice way to spend a few hours. It's very therapeutic. Makes you feel good. That's lovely. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, some amazing food. And uh, we're going to get some of your secrets in the kitchen. So stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. 
Tucked in a 640-square-foot shipping container space in the heart of Denver's Rhino neighborhood, Cart Driver is the perfect place to stop in for an Italian-style spritz, Prosecco on tap, and a wide variety of tinned fish. Open for lunch, dinner, community hour, and late nights seven days a week, Cart Driver is here for you with fresh, domestically sourced ingredients and, above all, hospitality. Learn more at cart-driver.com. Welcome back. This is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to the second half of Speaking Broadly with Melissa Rodriguez, who is the chef and partner at Del Posto Restaurant in New York City. Um, it is delicious, and we've been talking about a lot of heavy things in the first half, and we're just going we're gonna to wrap that part up and then get to the delicious part, <laughs> so hard before delicious. Um, so we were we were talking about the the challenges of working in a restaurant where the owners, one owner in particular, Mario Batali, has been accused of sexual harassment and has been taken to court, and he is ultimately divested. So now we're we're having a conversation now after the divestment has um, has taken place, and we were Melissa and I were talking about how hard it is as a person who's shy. Um, and also head to, I love what you said, like heads down and hands busy. Like you've been working and feeding people and taking care of your cooks. And that's really how you focused your energy. But now you're sort of picking your head up and addressing some of the concerns. And, you know, I think one of the concerns that people have is you, um, the fact that you have been quiet, right? You had said you haven't you haven't really taken a position. Your position is I'm cooking here and I'm protecting my staff and it's always been my staff. Um, but what would you say to those who are like, I cannot actually deal with you, Melissa, <laughs> like at all. And I mean this, like people who are listening might think like it's a joke, but it's not a, like in yeah. this industry, it's not a joke at all. People who will probably avoid you at parties and won't talk to you. Um, who you know really well because you haven't taken a stand. Like, what what do you have to say about that? I mean, it, it, it's it's a funny place because I always just thought it was an assumption. Um, but you know, that behavior to me is disgusting and shameful, and it's not something that happens in my kitchen, and it's definitely not something that I would ever put a blind eye to or turn my head. That's just not how I function, and that's not how the kitchen at Del Posto is run at all. Um, I'm very much a person who likes to address things immediately, find a solution, and and move forward. Um, I'm not someone who likes to tread and think for hours you know? <laughs> I mean I think I think that the the challenge is that people want you to come out and say like they're you know what they did is bad yeah I know it's bad and I I'm going to atone for it being bad and I think what you know I, and I think what you're saying here is I think their behavior is bad and I'm going to cook yeah absolutely like the behavior is unacceptable that's just not okay um, for anyone. And it's not okay for me either. 
Um, but, but yeah, I, I have this space and I have these 200 people who kind of rely on me and I'm not going to walk away from them because of someone else's poor behavior. Right. I think a lot of people would say there's other, pe- there's other places you could cook. You could get, you know, you could start again. Like that could yeah. be your, your, that could be your micro challenge. Like, and those people will all find jobs. Well, the I, restaurant I, industry is, you know, um, desperate for talented cooks. You've trained unbelievable people. Everyone will find a job. Like, why do you stay when you can find another job? They can find other jobs. Like, why are you still there? Um, I'm still there because I'm really, it's because of the people that I work with. Yeah. And you don't want to disrupt that. I don't want to disrupt that. Let's talk about the food you cook. Okay. Okay. So there's this dish that you make. And I'm so terrible at names. I'm really sorry. I don't know what it's called, but it, it looks like a, um, Oh, oh, the Corona. But, so, so you describe it because I'm corona, doing it with my hands. Um, is, um, it's a piece of pasta that we make. Corona means crown um, in Italian, which I honestly, we, we take a lot of uh, uh, creative liberty in naming things that we just kind of develop. Um, it's a, uh, essentially like a a rolled annuloti. It is the coolest thing. Right. So it's so it's a, a sheet of pasta and then you put um the cheese. What's the cheese? Uh toma. So it's a to- Piemontese toma. So cheese like on the flat pasta and then you fold um yes. you fold it over. Yep. And then you crimp it. Yes. And then you roll it. And then you roll it. And then you chill it. Yep. And then we boil, you know, you we boil cut it. it in water. It's so funny because people look at it and they're like, "You boil that in water and it stays together." I'm like, yeah, it's totally fine. It is the cool. I'm telling you, people, you have to, um, you have to check this Corona out. It's just, it is like a little purse with like little points on it. So yes, it looks like a crown, but it also looks like a purse. And you cut through it, and the like the pasta is perfect and it's cheesy. And the day that I had it, it had truffle, um, black truffle uh, butter, yeah, <clears throat> black truffle butter. So it's specked with black, and um, it is—it's like this little handful of luxury that is just divine. Um, it's not really a moment for luxury in in food, you know. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. I mean, not. you are honestly, Melissa. You're on the opposite side of so many trends, except you're—you have like a strong ethic in the kitchen that's also on trend. But like luxury, um, it's not the moment for like. What do you think about that? The change in people's interest in luxury. I mean, it's definitely challenging because you want to be a place where more more people can come, um, you know, and, and, you know, I guess the argument is that it's not accessible to all people and maybe it is a celebratory meal. And, and to be honest, if that's what it is, great. You know, like I love celebratory meals. I, I mean, I don't dine at Del, Del Posto or places like Del Posto regularly, um, you know, I, I go to like my pizza place regularly. What's your pizza place? Uh, Raza in <gasps> you, Jersey City. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I'm dying to go. I've never been. It, oh, it's so good. And Dan Reisher, maybe the nicest person in the world. Um, I've known him for a long time, and um, it's in my neighborhood. There and there's not there's a lot of food in my neighborhood, but not a lot of great food. But the pizza is great. That's I. I really want to go. Um, so right, you're saying it's a balance. It's a balance. Yeah. And there should be some luxury in this world. I mean, listen, you have to have a place to... Like, there's always going to be someone who wants to, like, have something they've never had before or, or have, a, 
you know, to feel taken care of and have the, this amazing food with that sense of being taken care of in a place that feels surreal. You know, Del Posto, like, I don't, they don't build restaurants like Del Posto anymore. It's huge and there's a piano player and, um, you know, there's a lot of, it's very buzzy energy wise in, in, um, at night, you know, in, during lunch is a little more subdued, but it's very pretty and beautiful and all of the steps are just kind of there and you don't really even notice the things that are happening around you because they just happen. And it's, it's, it's a very pretty meal, but I get it. It's not uh, it's not Tuesday lunch for everyone. <laughs> Um, and how do you feel about um, the the Michelin star system and like the fifty best and all of that sort of stuff I, you at know, this moment? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like I'm super proud that we have a Michelin star, and that make and I and that makes me feel really great. And that's not ever something I thought would would happen for me um, and the I, restaurant. So that's a nice feeling. You're, there's so many lists, though, that you're just like, at what point are they all important or not important? Like, how do you gauge? Because, like, you just have to focus on running your restaurant and making delicious food and, like, you know, having a place where all your employees want to come and where they can learn and be. And thinking so about ask- lists on top of that, you're just like, uh, we just try, you know. And, and if someone feels really strongly about what we do and it gets recognized and that's amazing so you've said a few times that you're in a place that you would never have imagined I'm just curious like when you're is it because when you're growing up your imagination was more limited or it was focused on something else or like why is it that you know so much of that you've accomplished you feel was actually unimaginable um I think because cooking was really hard for me it wasn't natural most things aren't (laughs) um you know it's kind of like playing the piano like I was not good at it it took time and then at some point you get really good at it um it's the same thing with cooking so when I started cooking I didn't really know if that was something I actually wanted to do um I kind of thought that like I mean to be quite honest my mom really like combated me um she did not love the idea she encouraged me to like do what I what I wanted to do, but you know there were a few, you know, constituents like you know I had, had to go to school regardless, and I was kind of the kid who was like I'm just gonna go to New York and I'll get a job and it'll be fine. She was like, yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> Did you, know, you follow her wishes? Yeah, I went to I went to CIA, which was great. I mean, I graduated. I was like 19, um, and. You know, I worked after that for many years, and you know, when you when you start as a line cook, you're you're kind of like a you know a baby giraffe or a baby deer. You fall and you burn and you break and you look like hell. And you go see your family, and they're just like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so like that was that was hard because there wasn't like that support. It was kind of like, "Why are you doing this? I don't understand. You are working." 100 hours a week, you never have any time off, you have burns all over your arms, um, like, why are you doing this? And, like, when I started line cooking, there was no, like, hourly pay, I got a shift pay, whatever, however many hours that meant was, that's just what it was, and, 
you know, at some point she pointed out to me, she's like, you know, you work below poverty level. <laughs> and I never thought anything of it because I was like, well, I'm learning, so that's all that matters. Um, so when, you know, when you're at that place and you don't have necessarily all the support of your friends and family and you're in this place where you miss out on on all those things, but you're learning and it feels good, you know, it's a, it's it's hard to think that like, yes, I'm going to run this large restaurant and I will aim for Michelin stars. And what do you think the thing was? Like, cause you were talking about the small steps as how you had achieved like this quite outstanding goal. Like, do you think there was any pivot in there that was like a bigger, small step? Like, was it, you know, a a leap in ambition or was it like the realization in therapy or like, was it something? It was definitely like a leap in ambition. I kind of started getting more comfortable with my skill set and what I was good at and I got more comfortable with recognizing my strengths and weaknesses and and I think that that was really helpful in understanding what I could and what I could aim to do. So what are your weaknesses? I haven't I'm very stubborn. <laughs> uh I can be very hard-headed. Um I can be the most vulnerable person in the room and the most guarded person in the room sometimes at the same time. Um yeah, I think those are pretty strong ones for me. And I mumble. <laughs> <laughs> and your strengths? Um, I'm really good at having difficult conversations. Um, I'm very good at um, keeping my cool. Um, I'm pretty even-keeled when it comes to being around other people. I'm not the person who's going to like scream my face off. It's really embarrassing to lose, your, <laughs> to lose yourself in front of 50 people. Um, I'm very diligent. And um, I don't know if demanding is a strength or, or maybe it's a little bit of both a strength and a weakness, but I'm very demanding of myself. I'm demanding of my cooks, but I'm more, um, you know, more demanding of myself for sure. So, and what is the fi- your favorite dish? Like I, the Corona, I think is my favorite dish that I had. Although the Fasoletto was a close second, and um, but all the food was so good. So, what's your favorite dish on the? Because um, you change so frequently, right? Do you yeah, ch- yeah, change we, easily. But we change pretty pretty often. But what is your favorite dish? Um, like picking your children um, I, I actually I love the fazoletto and it's probably going to change soon <laughs> um, which I'm not happy about but it's okay um, it's had a really lovely run and we'll bring it maybe back another time it's just like you know when you think about having multiple courses of pasta within a tasting menu it's kind of difficult um, if you're not someone who like can really throw down and eat like I'm I'm kind of becoming person that can't throw down and eat um so i love that it's just this very thin ravioli essentially it just looks like a sheet of pasta but it has so much flavor packed into this one little thing that it's i think is very cool and it's refreshing it's delicious and it sits really nicely like within a few courses of pasta and you don't walk away feeling like oh, i'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> that's that's important okay so um I ask each guest to teach me something, and you have come more prepared than most. 
What are you going to teach me, Melissa? Um, I was going to teach you how to clean a soft shell crab. No way. <laughs> Come on. So, you okay. know, when you're, when you're like a line cook, you... You have to talk into the mic. You, um, you teach yourself how to do things quickly and efficiently. And it takes time, um, but it happens. And so I worked at this restaurant where we sold a lot of soft shell crabs. And... You know, you would ha- you would have to clean like a hundred of them on top of everything else you were doing that day, and it was not always the easiest. I just want you to know, listeners, this is the first time anyone has brought the thing with them. There's strict instructions to not, but because I actually want to learn how to do this, because um, you have to cut the nose off. So there's there's a few things on the soft shell crab that you can't eat, um, and I'm sorry if this is maybe a little barbaric but there's you can't eat the eyes and the mouth you can't eat the gills and you can't eat the abdomen so if you take the soft shell crab and you put it in your less dominant hand so I'm right-handed so I put it in my left hand and the little like pointy things on the sides of the face that go out to the side you want to put one underneath your pinky and one underneath your forefinger so you're going to hold it with your left hand you're going to cut the face off, which I'm sorry. It's not going to bleed or anything. No, 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 no. You're going to cut this off, and then, so the eyes and the mouth are gone, and you're just going to snip this little pocket. Um, well, you have because to describe the pocket. The pocket is kind of the brain, and if you don't bust the bubble, it will blow up in your face because I've had it happen. Okay, that's gross. Um, so it's still in your hand, and you're going to take your pinky finger and lift the um, the pointy side of the face with your thumb and your pinky finger supporting it and expose the gill. You're going to cut the gill off. That's it. And then you're going to do the same thing on the other side, only you're going to um, encourage the, that side to move up with your forefinger and your thumb pulls it back, exposes the gills, and you can cut that off. And then it's just going to do a little back backflip in your hand and you're going to cut the abdomen off. And what does the abdomen look like? The abdomen, depending on what its gender is, looks different. So this one is long and skinny. It's a male. Um, if the flap, it's like a flap that goes on. It actually the looks like a penis, people. It. I've got to tell you. So <laughs> it's an abdomen, but it looks like a penis. Okay. But it, when it's a female, it's a it's a flat flap. Okay. And that's it. That's amazing. So okay, I didn't make this hand dirty, and I made three movements. So you could, like, clean these and be done with a hundred of them in, like, five minutes. Okay, you could, and I <laughs> definitively could not. Oh. That's amazing. All right, that was incredibly articulate and easy to follow. Thank you for that. Of course. Um, and the, the last question is to pay it forward to a woman in the hospitality industry who you admire, who you think... Um, is not as well known as she should be. Um, so I've I've kind of got two. Um, one is I always think that the the people in the background are the ones that never get enough um, recognition. Um, my executive sous chef is a woman. Her name's Catherine Rock, and when I hired her, I never ever got the response from so many people to immediately hire her. <laughs> then just from like friends, I was like, oh, do you know Catherine Rock? 
And they're like, hire her. Like, no, no discussion, no questions asked. And she's been with me for like, I guess, three years or so. And she's awesome. What makes her so special? I'm um, sure Catherine Newar. She's incredibly organized. She's incredibly articulate. She's really focused on um, being a teacher and a good mentor. Um, she's an incredible line cook, and she's be- become an incredible sous chef. Um, she works really well with others, and um, she's very focused. I mean, I don't mean to make this her job review. Okay. <laughs> and one more. Uh, Alex Reich. Um, I've known her for a long time. Um, she runs... El Quinto Pino, Chiquito, Lavara, um, one more with her husband, and she has two children, and I always look at her and think, how do you do what you do? Because <laughs> you make it look really easy, and you participate, and you give advice, and you just make shit happen, <laughs> and it looks amazing. So I always commend her, because she's very admirable to me. And... Um- yeah, and the food is absolutely delicious. Yes. Um, okay, well, thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much for coming on Speaking Broadly today. Um, if you guys liked what you heard, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Um, I want to thank uh, Matt Patterson and wish him a really great wedding because um, it's all going to be so chill. And the flowers are going to be great. And it's all about the bride. Uh, And also thank Nina, who helps me in every which way possible. And all of you for listening. Um, I love getting your letters. I walked in today, and there was a letter waiting for me. um, Someone just, you know, commenting on the show. That makes my day. I love mail. Hint, hint. Handwritten letters. I love handwritten letters, right? Um, And I want you all to have a great week. And I also want you to know where to find Melissa. So where can people find you on social? Uh, You can find me at Del Posto or at Mel J. Rodriguez. Great. And you know where to find me at Speaking Broadly. Until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.